as believers today, as the church, we are on a journey. We have a mission. It is a vital mission. We have a purpose. And until Jesus comes back or until he calls us home, we are on a journey. Now, sometimes the journey is easier. Sometimes, if you notice, it just moves right along. It seems to just flow right along. Oftentimes, however, it is hard. Sometimes it is a difficult journey. Sometimes gut-wrenchingly so. Sometimes our journey is very straightforward. Sometimes it is plain. And oftentimes, however, it is hard to discern with all sorts of twists and turns in the road. Sometimes our journey makes perfect sense and it is clear to us. We understand. Other times, however, it absolutely makes no sense. And though we, we try to understand, we cannot understand. Sometimes we lack the journey. It's even enjoyable. But other times we have to push through it and remember God's call to persevere. And as the church on his mission, until he comes again or calls us home, we are on a journey. Today as we look at the start of Paul's journey to Rome, what will be his last journey, we will seek this morning to glean from Scripture wisdom for our journey today. And so, yes, we are on a journey. And as we look at this account in Scripture, we're going to seek to pull out, to glean wisdom for us on our journey today. Today our message is entitled, No Pleasure Cruise. No Pleasure Cruise. We're in Acts chapter 27 today. Again, we're going to look at the entire 27th chapter, a large chapter, 44 verses. I believe the most verses I've ever preached on in a single sermon, the entire 27th chapter. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me for a word of prayer as we begin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come, we are thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your kindness. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. We're thankful that today, no matter the condition we find ourselves, no matter the state of life that we find ourselves today, that we have hope that endures. We have peace that is settled. We have an anchor that holds in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would take hold of that. I pray that we would be renewed and refreshed in that, that our anchor holds and that we have peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that you would speak. And I pray it wouldn't be normal. And I pray it wouldn't be a, a lecture or a class or the passing on of basic information. Lord, I pray it would be the word of God applied to your church, applied to your people, applied to our hearts. I pray that in the hearing of it, we would be changed, that we would be equipped. I, I pray, Lord, that some that do not know you and the hearing of a risen Savior, of hope in Jesus, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this hour. We ask that you move and meet with us in it. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In our study of the book of Acts, we are quickly moving to uh, the end of the book. I'm not long, sure how long we've been in the study. Some of you may know that. Uh, after today, we only have the 28th chapter remaining. So we're coming to the conclusion of the book of Acts. Now, today I'm going to read the entire 27th chapter, 
uh, all 44 verses, and then we're going to go back and pull our points out for today. Now, here's my, my, my request of you. I ask that you would listen as I read. Again, a long section of verses that you would not just hear the words, but that you would listen to the words, that you would try and imagine the events that are going on as we move through the verses. And so again, we start with our verses this morning. Acts chapter 27, beginning in the first verse, it says this. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, if you remember in the account, Paul had appealed to have his case heard before the Roman emperor. He had been in Caesarea. He had been before the governor there. And there he had appealed to have his case heard before the Roman emperor. Now they are sending him from the city of Caesarea now to Rome. All right, starting back in verse 2. And embarking on an Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 4. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now I want you to understand very quickly this was not the time to take a sea voyage. In fact, most people took a two or three month gap uh, off from settling on the seas because of high winds and storms. And so this was not an opportune time to be sailing on the seas. All right, back in verse 5. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myrna in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. Here they changed ships. Most likely it was a grain ship hauling grain. When we sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty we arrived off Snidus. Since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Simone. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Now the fast is talking about the Day of Atonement. He is tying this to the Jewish calendar. And he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage, and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now I want you to listen to that. Paul warns them in verse 10. He admonishes them. There's going to be a great cost if we move on. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. Just because somebody has a job doesn't mean you should always listen to them. That's what that verse says. Just because somebody seems to be an expert doesn't mean you should always listen to them. 
But because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. Don't always listen to the majority either. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Uroquillo. Now, that's a weird word. I want to explain it. It is actually made up of two different aspects. The first word is Greek, Euro. It means east. And Aquilo is actually a Latin word that means north wind. And so they had put the two words together, the Greek word and the Latin word, and it means a violent northeast wind. Back to verse 15. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. They couldn't buck the wind, and so they just cut loose and drifted along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Syrtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. They're dragging an anchor. They're moving along slowly. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. They began to throw the cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. This was the unnecessary equipment of the ship. They began to throw it over. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved had gradually been abandoned. Now, I want you to see what has happened here. The storm has been covering up for several days. They cannot see the sun or the stars, the moon, in order to navigate. They have thrown their cargo overboard, and now they have lost hope. They have gone out. They're caught in this storm. It doesn't look like the storm's going to end. They can't navigate where they're at, where they're going from here. And now they have lost hope. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet, now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, I wonder why he reminds them of what he told them. I think he's telling them, I was right before. Remember that. Listen to me now. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted all those who are selling, God has granted you all those who are selling with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the 14th night came, 
as they were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little further, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Now, they would take a rope. They would tie a weight to it. They would measure the depth. It becomes shallower. The ground becomes shallower underneath them. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. Oh, that the sun would come up. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down their ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you cannot yourselves be saved. Now, they were given to Paul. They would be safe with Paul, but they had to stay with Paul. If they leave the ship, they'll be on their own. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish." Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not recognize the lamb. But they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where the two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded those who could swim, jump aboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. Now, when we read that, that is quite an ordeal. They are out sailing when they should not be sailing. They had not taken the advice of Paul and the others. They are losing their cargo. Now they are losing their ship, and they have crashed onto this island. They were not where they wanted to be. It wasn't their plan but they were alive. Now, here's what I want you to think about. All of those verses, the whole 27th chapter, here's what I want you to think about. Why is this recorded here? Why is this recorded for us? This broken, troubled, ill-advised journey, really of great detail. Notice the great detail. Why is it here? Here in the book of Acts, we have the Acts of the Apostles, we have the formation of the church. We have the spread of the gospel. And now we have this account of a ship 
being wrecked. Why is this here? Now, I want you to see this. If I and we will slow down, and if we will look at this, really it is a profound trip. Really it is a huge trip. And as we read of its trouble, we need not miss its significance. As we read of the account of the things that are happening, of the trouble that is incurred, we need not miss its significance. The journey starts out of Caesarea. To the south is Jerusalem, where Paul grew up, the city of God, the city of David, the, the city where the temple stood. To the south is Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified, the city where the upper room was, where the church began. And now that city is forever behind him. They move along the coast. The Bible says they stop 70 miles north in the town of Sidon. It's one of the first places the church spread after the stoning of Stephen. Those that were scared, those that were fearful, driven out of Jerusalem 70 miles north. This is the first place they stopped. It was also a place that Paul taught the new believers there. From there they reload on the ship and as they move along, they go to the north and they go to the east. As they, as they are struggling at the sea, they are passing city after city, some deep inland where the gospel had taken hold. And so as you see them making this journey, as they are on this ill-fated trip, as they're making the journey, over there is Iconium, a city, the Bible says, where the people became divided and they shortly chased Paul out. Over there is the city of Derby, another city with the same fate, where upon the preaching of the gospel, they chase Paul out. Then as they move a little further along, there is Tarsus, the, the place of Paul's birth. As they go a little further, there is Lystra, the place where Paul healed a man, the Bible says, that was lame from birth. The Bible says, though he had never walked when Paul left, he was leaping and jumping, and the Bible says, walking around. There they passed the city of Thessalonica. The Bible says that Paul preached three Sabbaths there, making plain this Jesus I am declaring is the Christ. If you want to know who the Savior is, the anointed one of God, this Jesus I am declaring is the Christ. As they move along, they pass beloved Ephesus, where the weeping elders of the church, now it had become true, they would never see Paul's face again. They pass by Philippi. The Bible calls it a leading city, a city where the jailer and his family were saved after Paul implored them, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Praise the Lord, they believed and were saved. There is Cyprus, the island where Paul had traveled its length. Remember that in our study, diligently not missing any of it, diligently not leaving any of it out declaring the hope of a risen Savior from its top to its bottom. There they passed by Corinth, a city, the Bible says, that responded upon the hearing of the gospel in faith. The Bible says, and many were believing and being baptized in that city. There as they travel along, they passed Berea. The Bible tells of a people in that city that were noble-minded, searching the scriptures receiving the word with gladness. Listen, that's the only way to receive the word. Oh, there is good news, listen to me, in the word of God. There they pass by Athens. 
the sophisticated city filled with religion but missing the truth of a Savior, a place where Paul went to the most populated, the most visible Mars Hill and declared the grace of a previously unknown God, a man Jesus raised from the dead. And so understand today, it is a profound trip. As Paul and his companions struggled on, they were passing the many cities filled with lives that were changed by the gospel, cities where Paul and others had preached the good news, where they had persuaded the Jews and the Gentiles, where they had reasoned with many, their eternities were at stake. It had been a journey. Some days were easy. Many of them were hard. Some days were clear. Others were complicated with twists and turns in the road ahead. Some plans were plain and easy to discern. Others they were not able to understand. Some days were enjoyable. Most were requiring perseverance. It was a journey. Friends, listen to me today. Do not overlook the truth. Do not miss the truth. Do not forget the truth. Listen, we also are on a journey. Listen to me. You also are on a journey. Sometimes we hear this and we think about, oh, the lot of these people. Oh, the story of God moving to these people. You also are on a journey. We have the same mission we have the same good news. You do, I do. Eternity still hang in the balance. You are also on a journey. Well, from this leg of Paul's journey today, I'm going to pull out five things for us to see, five things for us to remember to inform us on our journey. You are on a journey. I'm on a journey until Jesus calls us home or comes again. We are on a journey. Here's some wisdom from God to inform us on that journey. All right, listen very carefully. First thing we see in our account today is this. Paul was submitted to God's plan. Now, I want you to hear that. He was committed, yes, I could have used the word committed. He definitely was committed, but he was more than that. He was submitted to God's plan. Now, I want you to remember this. Paul is a prisoner. Paul has been a prisoner. Paul's headed to Rome not for a vacation, not for a sightseeing tour, but for his very own trial. And this is the plan of God. That is the directing of God. Now, does that make sense? I think about it. It looks pretty crazy to me. I don't, I don't know how that really makes sense, but that is the plan of God. See this, and Paul submits, places himself under the plan of God. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus, remember Paul's recounting the, the event where he meets Christ on the road to Macedonia, in, in Acts 23, 11, Jesus said to Paul, as he had witnessed at Jerusalem, so you must at Rome also. Jesus said that back then. Look at verse 3 now. Chapter 27, verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration 
and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Now, there's a lot of things that we could take to pull this point out, but I want you to see this. This Roman centurion, he is in charge of, of Paul, making sure that he gets uh, to, to, the, to, to Rome. And here it says, he lets him go to his friends. Now, I want you to know this. Think about this. Do you know Paul could have run off? It says he shows him great consideration. He lets him go to his friends. He could have kept on going. He could have asked his friends to, to hide him in something and take him somewhere else. He could have taken off. But listen, Paul was submitted to the plan of God. On our journey, we must not only be committed, but we must be submitted to the plan of God. Now, what that means is this. If it doesn't make any sense... We submit to the plan of God if it's costly. Oh, do you see the cost of this? We submit to the plan of God. If we don't like it, I don't like it. We submit to the plan of God. We must say, not my will be done, but thine be done. First thing we see with Paul was submitted to the plan of God. The second thing we see, and I love this point, the second thing we see is this, Paul didn't go alone. Paul didn't go alone. Now, I want to tell you this. As you read Scripture, I have found this to be true. God rarely sends one. Now, sometimes he does. There are accounts that he sends one person, but God rarely sends one. Oftentimes, it is Moses and Aaron. It is Joshua and Caleb. It is Elijah and Elisha. It is Paul and it is Titus. Well, I want you to see here. In verse 1, it says, we would set sail for Italy. That we is Luke. You wonder who that we is? Who's, who's saying we set sail? It is Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. In the book of Philemon, Paul called him his fellow laborer, somebody on the same mission, somebody on the same cause, a person serving the same mission, a fellow laborer. In the book of Colossians, referring to him, Paul called him the beloved physician. He was a doctor that he loved. That's how he describes him. This close friend, Luke, had already been traveling with Paul. He'd gone on many of his journeys with him. And now he will stay with Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Luke is the only one that stayed with Paul until his death. The rest, the Bible says, left. Some of them had other reasons. Some of them left out of fear. Some of them left for personal gain. It says Demas left for that reason. But when it got to Rome, as the time drew near, all of them left but Luke. Friends, listen, on this journey that you are on, that we are on, maybe you're the Paul some days, or maybe you're the Luke some days, but for sure it is a lot better to have a co-laborer. For sure it is a lot better to have a beloved friend. It's a, it's a lot better to have someone that would say, you know, though all should leave, though the cost would get high, though we can't bear it anymore, if you'll stay faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ, I will be with you. Luke doesn't go anywhere. 
Some historians say Luke was hung from an olive tree. Some others say that he was killed, also beheaded by Nero. We're not sure. But what we do know this, when they loaded the ship for Paul, Luke said, we will go to Italy. Let us be that type of people. Let us be that type of friend. Let us be that type of encourager for those that will be bold and stand for the gospel cause. Let us be like that. Third thing we see is this. Paul cared for, was kind to, and encouraged those he traveled with. Now, this may seem like a weird thing, but I think it's very important. Paul, we see in the account, cared for, was kind to, and encouraged those he traveled with. Now, I want you to see with Paul on this trip, there are the guards. With Paul on this trip, there are the soldiers. Also, there are the sailors, those that were working for the, the shipping company. There were other prisoners there on the ship. There were other travelers as well. The Bible says 276 of them. And notice from the account, Paul worried about them. Paul was concerned with them. He encouraged them. He told them to eat. He sought their best as well. Now, I want you to think about this. Were they on his mission? No. Were most of them even believers? No. But Paul was for them. Listen this morning. Far be it from anyone to be so deadlocked on the journey that they are unaware of the people they are traveling with. I heard about a pastor, and I don't know, I don't know how you rank pastors, but this guy evidently is a, a big-time pastor. He's well-known. He's got books everywhere. He's on TV all the time. And I was talking to one of the guys on his staff. We were in a class together, and this guy is on his staff, and he was telling me about this pastor, and he says this. He doesn't say hi. He doesn't shake hands. He doesn't make small talk. He tries deliberately not to look people in the eye. I actually said, wow. And the guy kept talking. He said, but you know what? That's not why we hired him. We hired him to preach. Now, I want you to hear me. Listen, there are times to be focused, yes. But we need not forget we preach to people. And the gospel message is about people. And those that are going to receive it, those are people like us. And so listen, the journey has to include a love for people. You can't be on this journey and write off people. You can't be on this journey and not love people. That carries us easily to the next point, to the fourth point, and that is this. Those with Paul were witness to his journey. Here's the fourth point. Those with Paul were witness to his journey. Now see this, Paul was no low-level criminal. He was going to Caesar. I don't know how many of those others would have an audience with Caesar. He was well-known for that. He was hated by the Jews, not just in Jerusalem, but in every town that they had passed by. These guards, these shipmates, the centurion Julius... They know all of that. They know why he's going to trial. They know what is happening. More than that, they know his claims. 
that he follows the one true God. He actually says, there is only one God, and I follow the one true God. He, he makes clear that he trusts a Savior that's the remedy for all sinners. His message is good news for all people, the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus resurrected from the dead. They hear his message. They, they know his message, and they are watching. See this. Verse 34. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Verse 35. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. The Bible says, in the presence of all, with the ship coming undone, with a storm that will not end, on the way to his trial, escorted by guards, he prays before he eats. With them watching, he prays before he eats. Be very certain they're watching Paul. What does he say? What, what does he do? How does he treat other people? How does he talk? What is his language like when he's with a different crowd? Does his language change? What about when he's under stress? Does he have a different, a different persona then? They are watching Paul. Folks, I want you to hear me, and I want you to be sure of this. Be very certain today. Be very certain. If you, and I don't care what age you are, sometimes you think, well, I'm too old or I'm too young or, or I get a pass. Listen, if you have identified yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're submitted to the mission or not, they assume that you are and they are watching. Let me tell you something about that. The truth is they're watching you. If you've claimed to follow Jesus Christ, people are watching you. The world is watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Some of your family's watching you. And I want to tell you this. They're not watching to see if you pull it off. They're watching to see if you fail. And that's how it works. They're not watching saying, well, maybe they'll pull it off. Maybe they'll keep it together. They're watching with bated breath, and they're watching you to see if you fail. Will you act like the world? What about when you're with a different crowd? What if you think nobody's looking, especially the church people? What if you're under great stress? Believer, the great turnoff to the gospel is people that claim it's the power of God unto salvation and yet live like it holds no power at all. The great turnoff to the gospel are people who say we are new in Christ, and yet they live like the world we exist in. Listen to me. The world is watching. There are folks that say, you know what? I can do what I want. I've trusted Christ. I know that. My relationship to him is my business. I can do what I want. It's my business. Listen to me, brother. Listen to me, sister. No, you can't. You're carrying the name of Jesus Christ. And the world is watching to see what you do with his name. You must live aware of the name you carry if you're going to represent him well. Listen to me. The world is watching. It's sick of people that, that say one thing and do something else. 
It's sick of people that claim one thing and treat people a different way. The world is watching. Paul was submitted to God's plan. Paul didn't go alone. Paul cared for, was kind to, and encouraged those he traveled with. Those with Paul were witness to his journey. Here's the last one. We're about done. Praise the Lord for this one. And God was in control. God was in control. Now, in all ways, he was in control. Many ways we could look at this event. He was in control. Look at verses 22, 23, and 24. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. God reassures Paul. Do not be afraid. I see the condition you're in. I see you. I am working here. You can trust me. And the end of verse 44 says this. And so it happened. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. Strange plan. Hard days. Daunting mission. Hard to understand. Listen to me. God is in control. Let me tell you something. Today, if, if we will seek God's will, and if we will s- submit to God's will, you're going to have hard days, yes. You're going to have confusing days, yes. But I want to tell you, you will be sure God is in control. God is in control. Let me ask the question this morning. We're about to close. So how's your journey? So how's your journey? Are you submitted to the cause of Christ? Have you placed yourself under it? Is it the priority in your life? Are you aware of those that are around you as you travel by? Are you showing them the love of God, preaching the gospel of Jesus? Are you aware of those that are watching, those that would would have a detriment in how you respond to certain situations? Are you aware of those that are watching? How is your journey? And for some, I need to ask the question, have you started your journey? You see, the the journey starts by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we're saved. That's not the end of the line. That's the start of it. And so maybe you're here and you've you've heard all this. You'd like to be on that journey. That sounds like a, a worthwhile trip to take. But you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to tell you the good news today, this morning, is this. God loves you. And yes, he has a plan for you. And it's a plan of forgiveness and redemption and restoration and the finished work of his son, Jesus. And if you'll receive him in faith, listen, he'll save you today and you'll begin your journey walking with Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus, do it today. If you're here and you say, no, I've heard this message and I've heard these words and I've become numb to them, but there's never been a place when I turn and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to empower me to to repent and leave that sin and to follow with you. Lord, come into my heart and save me. If you've never done that, do that today. If you've never settled that, settle it today. That's why we preach. That's why the church was formed. That's why it's going to Rome to declare the message. There's hope in Jesus. If you've never trusted him, trust him today. If you have trusted him, listen, 
you're on a journey. And you know what? He hasn't evidently called you home, and I know he hasn't come back. And so we have a, a journey to take in faith. We have a journey that's important and imperative and matters. And eternity's hang in the balance. May we be faithful to the King, the Lord of our journey. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Father, we come. We praise you, we thank you, we worship you, we exalt you. Lord, we're thankful that for sinners such as us, such as I, that you don't write us off, that you don't forget about us, you don't cast us into a, a, a heap somewhere, that you send your only begotten Son, Jesus, that we could have peace with you, restoration through him, that we would put down our, our sin, our shame, that it would be covered over in the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for that grace. Lord, I pray if there's some that are listening today here in person, maybe some other way, that haven't trusted you, that today they would reach out to you, claiming you as their Savior, the remedy for their sin, professing you as Lord with all that they know, receiving you in faith, that they would be saved in the authority of your own work. Lord, I, I, I pray for those of us here that are in the journey, that you would encourage us, that you would walk with us, that we would walk closer to you, that we would be useful to your name and to your cause. Lord, I pray as we conclude this service that, that you are pleased, that you have been pleased. I ask, Lord, that you would work as we conclude this time, that you'd remove any hindrance, that your truth would be remembered, and that decisions would be made. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response. And there's something to respond to, and it's the truth of God's word. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. Trust him today. He'll save you today. He is your answer. If you need more information about that, you come. Let's settle that today. If you're here and you've trusted Christ but never fought on believer's baptism, I want to tell you it's an important step, one that we do in obedience to what Christ himself has said. And so you come, and it'll be a great testimony of what we believe of Jesus, that he died and was buried and lives again. It'll be a testimony of what we are in Christ, that we have died with him, that we now live in and through him. And so you come, and we'll set a day. It'll be a great day of testimony pointing to our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here. Come, and we'll unite. Together we'll serve his word, his message, his cause lifting up his name until he comes again. Maybe you're here and you want to come pray at an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me today. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. I'm going to ask in this time of response that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. I believe it's true the most important time of our meeting today. Pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you today, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. As we stand and sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.